Welcome back to the Midweek Debrief, Season 3. I'm Jasper, and I ride a black Triumph Scrambler 900. Here's how it sounds. I'm Jed, and I ride a straight pipe Triumph Bonneville. Here's how it sounds. Join us each week as we catch up, discuss the latest headlines in the biking world, tackle a topic and answer your questions. We also have some exciting guest interviews lined up for this season, so stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Motone Customs. If you're like us and you're always looking for the next custom part for your bike, Motone has loads on offer, from headlight to taillight and everything in between. With daily worldwide dispatch, Motone are here to cater for all your custom needs. Check out what's on offer at www.motone.co.uk. Welcome back to the Midweek Debrief season finale. Jasper, how are you doing? Very well. We come to episode eight, end of a season. You know the score? Let's catch up. So what have you been up to? Well, it's been uh, an interesting week. So at the beginning of the week, we had the unveil for Triumph's new low-capacity bike. There were some rumors floating around beforehand. I think there'd been some sneak pics I'd seen on Google of this, you know, when they put that wacky black and white camo on on new cars and bikes and stuff to try and hide it so yeah we'd seen this bike floating around wondering we all knew it was going to be a small capacity bike but we weren't sure how small and uh, of course they unleashed launched two 400s the what are they calling it the speed the speed twin 400 no i think it's just i think it's speed 400 okay and then scrambler 400 x (laughs) yeah so i think i can see what they've so i think what they've tried to do is um, basically just expand the lineup yeah so it's that if you if you're into roadsters then you've got the speed 400 and then you can get the speed twin or you know and you've got the 900 like that. and the 12 and then yes yeah. the 900 exactly with and then the same with the scrambler yeah so they hosted the unveil at the bike shed what were your thoughts on the event and first kind of impressions of the bikes the event the event was great but it was supposed to be at the shard now rumor has it don't hate me if you love the Shard, but rumour has it that the top eight floors of the Shard are sort of structurally unsafe. So the uh, the the launch was supposed to be there, but they had to call it off. Maybe the weight of the bikes or all the people up there, they just couldn't handle it. So they're doing structural works at the Shard. So it was relocated to the bike shed, place we're very familiar with. And uh, yeah, it was a great event. And the crowd was huge, actually. Yeah, I reckon they must have the capacity of the shard must be a lot greater than the yeah. bike shed because it was just it was overflowing it was it like was. I, I was standing outside for most of it because it was so busy inside and the stewards kept being like please can you go inside and i was like dude there's no space it's, like, <laughs> it's full i can't go in yeah yeah it was it was cool i mean we arrived and i was expecting i was expecting them to do like a, a big kind of pull the pull the curtain off so i actually think they did and i think we oh, both right. missed it oh fair enough because they didn't really, there were so many people there that I think they had limited space in the unveil room because they'd actually had a stage set up with a presentation and they had the two bikes under black covers. Ah, uh, okay, that makes sense. Because when I arrived, I was saying to a couple of, because I wasn't 100% sure what the release was. So I was no. saying to a couple of you, I was like, do we know what it is? And they were like, oh yeah, bikes are over there. Yeah. So I was like, okay, cool, let's go and have a look. I, I literally walked in, went to the bar, got a drink and turned around and I had to almost do a double take because the, one of the bikes was just parked behind me and I was like, oh, where's the unveil? Yeah, um, but we missed it. So let's talk about the Speed 400 first. What were your first impressions? First impressions, I can see what they're trying to do, uh, and they've 
some of it they've gone about quite well like with the upside down forks and they've tried to use the better end of components as far as suspension etc um but the biggest letdown for me was the mag wheels yeah and also the fact that they unveiled it with a top box yeah so okay there's there's a few things there's a few things to talk about that i think yeah the mag wheels so i think on the for me i think it's more of a sin putting mag wheels on the scrambler than it was yeah. on, on on the speed 400 i guess because like the speed 400 if it's the smaller version of the speed twin 1200 then i guess mag wheels is it fits with the lineup it fits with the lineup and being having a much smaller front wheel on the bike gives it that kind of it, it has got quite a decent kind of roads to it's quite aggressive look yeah, yeah. I, I think so i think so with those with those chunky forks but i agree that that top box was shocking i mean i understand that when they're doing the release they want to show uh all the catalog parts on the bike like it's yeah. fully spec'd out but i think there was also a tank bag on maybe there's a tank bag on, on the other bike but the top box was uh was just cheap looking yeah, it, it was just looked like your generic and, scooter box. Yeah, and I thought that that could have been a cool opportunity if you are going to put a top box on a bike like that to to go maybe aluminium or yeah. just slightly more sleek with the design. Yeah, exactly. But one thing I found out was that they've actually they're going to have six speed gearboxes. Are they? That's which, interesting for four hundred. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, and I think that's I think that's a good thing because you know if you're going to be doing any sort of long distance on it then it's just nice to have that extra gear to bring the gear, to, to just bring the revs down. Yeah. As, as you know, with our with our 900s, they don't have a sixth gear. No. We're always on the motorway just like wishing for that sixth you, gear. You buzz along at 70. Yeah. You do. So yeah. that's, uh, well, that's, that's quite pleasant, actually. Six gears. I think we'll, I'll be interested to see uh, see how they do. But let's talk about the uh, the Scrambler 400X. What, what do you think of yeah, that? Was, that actually pleasantly surprised me in a way. The way that they've matched the paint to the bigger bike, yeah. it, it fits in quite well. Shame again about the wheels. They should have been spoked. But as a cost-saving point, definitely the mag wheels would be cheaper. Um, and then the, the lack of high pipes. Yeah, that was... So, on the... Okay, so I, I was reading their press release thing earlier today. And they've said, and this is in inverted commas, they've said it's got authentic scrambler styling with a classic silhouette a commanding riding position with a twin outlet silencer and a unique scrambler mudguard. So, but, but it's a low, it's a low it's mudguard. Mud so I don't know what they mean by authentic scrambler styling, you know, when it's mag wheels and, and cause obviously we did our episode of what makes a scrambler. Yeah, exactly. And two of the main things were spoked wheels. And a high and, and yeah. So yeah, I, I don't know whether it's that kind of, we're at the point in the industry where, if they just put the scrambler name on it and ADV tires, that it's just yeah. kind of a scrambler. But do you know what? I, I almost think the market they're going for isn't really going to care too much. Yeah, true. They're going to be the sort of person that's it's their first bike. They're not really into bikes. Mm. They don't know what a proper scrambler is or what a proper roadster is. So they see a bike that looks pretty cool and it has the name Scrambler X on it. Yeah, true. And they just think, yeah, bosh, that's cool. I agree. I mean, however, though, on the on the promo video, there, there, are the two guys in some desert somewhere. Yeah, I saw that. And they are, they're giving it, they're popping the rear end out, and this, that, and the other. And I think that's slightly misleading. Yeah, but it would be a challenge on that bike, I think. Yeah, I think it would. I think it would. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see how they do sales wise. And also, they, this is the last thing I picked up in the the press note was it says it's going to have an evocative exhaust note. Oh yeah, because that's one thing we didn't hear. No, exactly. 
that will be interesting. Yeah, so that's the last like that's the last piece of the puzzle that I'm waiting to. I was also thinking about this the other day. I wonder what the aftermarket parts catalogue will look like, as far as tail tidies and different seats and just to sort of dress the bike up a bit and make it your own. Yeah, true. I, I'm hoping it's extensive. Yeah, because I think they could be made to quite cool little bikes. Oh, definitely, definitely. I think there, you know, at the event there were a couple of bike builders there. Yeah. And I reckon once once some of those guys get their hands on at least the Scrambler model. Oh, there'll be some cool bikes coming out. Yeah, definitely. 100%. Definitely. And I have no doubt, like, I've ridden some smaller bikes and I have no issue with them. I think they're, no. they're often really fun. And, like, the 40 PS or horsepower, I don't know what, you, what differences between those two things, is is a good figure Yeah. for bopping around town and having a bit of fun. It's probably what my Bonneville has now anyway. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> what have you been up to this weekend? Have you been out on the bike much? Yeah, so cruise through the week. Weekend came around quicker than ever. And uh, I've started doing a bit of Malay prep. Oh, okay. Let's hear it. Because the mile is, what, it's like three weeks around the corner. Yeah, it's really soon. It's so close. Yeah. So I thought, right, now's the time to start getting my ducks in a row. So this year, last year, I had a really small tent and ended up having to stay in a friend's tent because they had one with like all the spare rooms that sort of zip on. So this year, I was like, I'm not doing that. Driving up and sleeping in the landy. So... I went on Saturday morning and I picked up a trailer. So Bonnie will be going on that. Where where did you pick the trailer up from? So the trailer was actually only half an hour from me. Oh, right. Or 25 minutes or so. Really nice guy. He was just sort of having a garage clear out. And he was like, yeah, needs to go. So quick exchange. Hooked it up to the back of the landy and yeah, cruised on home. So yeah, got that set up. Got to do a few final bits to the Land Rover. I want to get an auxiliary battery for it so I can basically charge it off the alternator while the car's running and then use the auxiliary battery for charging cameras laptops phones etc but it won't drain the charge of the starting battery yeah awesome and is that something that's fairly easy to wire in yes you can buy kits yeah you can buy kits and they're quite universal for all cars and campers and vans and everything so if you've got any other vehicle and you want an extra battery if you're doing trips like this um you can just link one of those up and then put a couple of little 12 volt cigarette lighter sockets in and Away you go, charge all your gadgets. Yeah, speaking of auxiliary batteries, um, over the weekend, like you may have seen, I was uh, I stopped off at a BP garage and there was this Unimog that turned up. Yeah. And I was chatting to the guy and what a cool vehicle that They're is. huge. Gen- I mean, yeah, truly massive. When it turned up, I was like, oh my, it was like almost touching the, you know. The roof the, of the petrol station. The roof the, exactly. And, uh, and I was asking him how long he can go self-sufficient on that thing before having to, you know, gather supplies again. Yeah. And he said from like an energy standpoint, once, you know, the, the thing takes 200 litres of diesel, <laughs> which is a lot. That's a lot. And he said, the only thing you've got to, that runs out before anything else is kind of the food. But he said, it, you know, because he said it's got all sorts of, I think it's got several auxiliary batteries and yeah, I'm sure. fridge, freezer, this, that and the Probably other. Probably a shower in there and everything. Um, I'd asked him, I said, you know, where, where have you been? Expecting him to say he's been around the Peak District or something. He said, oh, we've just been on the way. We're just on the way back from Sweden. You know, he said, really? oh, we've just done four weeks cruising around sweden that's wicked yeah so uh he, we had a quick look inside double bed and it just it looks so that's nice. how you've got to do it 100 percent. and i think the bikes up to the back and then just yeah for sure hit the continent and the thing is just so like solid do you know what i mean like it's like armored right yeah, up. i think the uh i think the german military used them in various applications in different formats do you have any idea how much they cost to buy it varies wildly because i actually looked into it a while is back it, I was is like, it 100 grand well, if you wanted to buy one fully kitted out like that, I think it would be somewhere around that yeah, figure. Yeah. But you can buy like a base Unimog that's a bit ratty, that's probably lived on a farm all its life. 
for maybe 20 grand. Okay. But it's just the kitting out that's the... And are they pretty reliable? They must be. I think so. Yeah. I think they're quite basic. But the thing also had... It had a snorkel and the the tires probably went up to about... Yeah, they're nuts. Shoulder height. Yeah. So I said, I said to him, you can probably get through some pretty deep water. He said, oh yeah, up to here. You know, he went to the top of the snorkel yeah. <laughs> and it was like 15 feet, you know? So... Uh, I don't know, you know. All this pla- plastic kitchenware will be floating around in the bag when he <laughs> yeah. hits that much water. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. Now, there was one bit of news, actually, that I forgot to talk about. It's not really news, but I think it's quite interesting to chat about. So have you heard about the Ducati Unica program? No, I haven't. So in their Panigale factory, um, just out, outside Bologna in Italy, they are, they've got this program, which is where you can go kind of in-house customization with Ducati for their mm. high-end bikes. So the idea is they do they'll do a maximum of fifteen bikes per year, yeah. which isn't very many. So it's like it's very low unit, and you can. I don't know. Actually, it didn't seem like that customizable when I was yeah. looking into it. It was more just like custom paint finishes. You can do something with the seat, almost like we saw at Ferrari, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. Similar and I think sort of that's thing. sort of what they're going for. But it's seventy grand for a bike. And they said, and I was reading the article, and it says that they start with a, <clears throat> you know, a, a Panigale V4S or whichever model you choose. Yeah. It goes through the whole production, and then just before the end, that's when they kind of pull it to the side and then add the bits. So it's not as unique as maybe you'd think, but they talk about how it's enjoying, you know, being part of the process is, yeah. is kind of, sort of more what you're paying for. So for Panigale, you would literally just be custom fairings, paint. Not even custom fairings. They're probably the same fairing yeah, same, shape. Same fairing, yeah. Just the paint finish, <clears throat> spoiler finishes, wheel finishes. Yeah, it's just 70k though. It's quite a lot. They said apparently they're, they're fully, but they're sold out for 2023. I'm not surprised. So, you know, people are, people are wanting them. And they said there was one lady they had to say no to. Because part of the thing is like not wanting to say no to people. Yeah. Because it's that kind of clientele. And apparently there was la- a lady who wanted like the devil painted on her bike and, and they, they wouldn't had, have and it. they and they wouldn't have it because of bad messaging and stuff it shows that you know if you've got the money to get a, that kind of kind of guy yeah. and then you want a, a devil painted on it, it's just kind of unusual but one thing he did say that's that's cool is that he said we'll be seeing a stock yellow panigale soon really yeah they're bringing back the yellow yeah and i'm a big fan of ducati yellow yeah i love it and yeah it's been got the last one would have been the Seven, I get my Ducati models mixed up. I think it's been well over 10 years. At maybe. least. Yeah, since since At they've bought one out. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's exciting. And I think it will look, I think it will look the absolute business. Yeah. Because I haven't, I don't think I've ever seen a yellow one out and about. I don't, I don't, I don't think I've seen anyone customize one. In that, no, in that I've way. seen the older Ducatis in yeah. yellow, but nothing newish. Yeah. But yeah, that, I think that'd be really cool. That is cool. What else have we got here? Oh, yeah, I have to tell you about this Donington Park experience. Okay. Yeah, I headed up um, for the weekend to see this World Superbike thing. And I've never been to closed track racing before. Have you Have you been to watch any live? Uh, yeah, I, I went a couple of years ago to uh, one of the BSB okay. British Superbike days at Brands Hatch. Yeah, so, okay, so you know that you know the deal. Off the back of going to the TT, yeah. I was so... It was like an itch that needed to be scratched, like seeing those bikes again. Yeah. And um, and I was truly blown away by how fast they go. 
Yeah, it's nuts. Because, you know, when you're at the TT, it's like, and, and you know that that's like the pinnacle of road racing. Yeah. And then when you're there, it's always like, oh, it's not like closed track racing. And closed track racing gets like a bad rep. Yeah. But oh, I was just like... No, they still fly. 100%. Yeah. And the way they go into the corners, you, it, it might be a name for this, when they're kind of definitely heavy on the front brake and the, the back is like bouncing into yeah. the corner. The back's coming up. They've got the, the foot off the, the peg, trailing the foot into the corner. Yeah, I mean, just truly wild. So the one thing you see with circuit racing or close track racing is the sheer lean angle of cornering. Because the TT, there's a few corners where they might be getting knee down. But on the circuit, these guys are elbow down, almost shoulder on the floor. Yeah, They're fully decked over and they're still pinning it around these corners. So it's really cool to watch how the riders manage the bike through the circuit. And yeah, when you get on the start finish straight depending on which circuit you're on, they just absolutely fly by. Yeah, it's mental. Also, there were a couple of crashes, like low sides. Yeah. And they they come off at serious speed and they have that runoff, you know, gravel. The gravel, yeah. And I was amazed how the crashes didn't look that bad. You know, no, they'd be they... coming off at quite speed. They'd slide along and uh, and a couple of times they just got back up and yeah. picked the bike up and went off again. Yeah. And I was like, what? <laughs> It's it's crazy because all of the all of the racing suits they wear have the airbag technology in them. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so all of the racers now are using airbag technology. So as soon as it's got motion sensors in the hump, I think, on the back of the, the suit, and as soon as it senses a sudden change in motion that would be unnatural to riding, it kicks in, they've got gas canisters, and the whole thing just inflates. Wow. So it stiffens you up, so you become quite rigid. Um and then you sort of tumble along the ground. But yeah, when they had those low sides, uh, Tom Tom Ward, the BSB rider, he was telling me once he had an off at 125 miles an hour um, coming into a corner, low side. And he said the only, the most uncomfortable bit about it, if you can avoid tumbling, is the heat that gets generated from the friction of where you're sliding. Because he said you can feel the heat coming through the leather of it rubbing against the tarmac. Yeah, that's full on. That's really, yeah. Wow. And the distance you slide for at that speed, it's just nuts. Um, one thing that they were also doing, and I think this is new, I don't know if they do it in BSB, is they had this like the Yamaha R3 championship. I don't know if it's called that, but you know the little R3s? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you, I don't know if you gave me one for Guess the Engine a couple of weeks ago, but um, I think it's it's set up by, by Yamaha and it's only their bikes that get used. As they have this huge um, setup of little tents and stuff, and they must have twenty or thirty bikes in in the race, and it's all young lads. Most of them seem to starting be starting out. Yeah, starting out, and it's. I just thought it's such a cool idea is that you know, so they get a taste for world superbikes yeah. and closed track racing generally in like a in a very sort of competition heavy environment. Yeah, environment. Yeah, yeah. I suppose because they do those one two five cc championships as well. But it's not on the same level as that, I guess. It's at the smaller circuits and it's yeah. off season, and because they do the endurance races as well, one two five endurance races, which look quite fun. Yeah, for sure. Um, but these R threes, yeah, you know, after watching the big bikes, the R threes would go out, and they'd all they don't get that mu- that separated that much because they're no. all they're all the same they're bike. All pinned, yeah, they're all pinned the whole time, so they stay as a pack, and they'll be coming around the corner, and it sounds like a sort of a group of bees coming around you because they've got that exhaust and they've all got quick shifters but also it's not like because they're going slightly slower yeah so you get a lot more time to kind of watch them and listen to them 
you know, if you were like me, for example, inexperienced in track riding, mm. that would be such a fun bike to yeah, go and 100%. try. Yeah, definitely. Because it wouldn't be that much power that it would scare you. And then even getting up to top speed on the start finish straight before coming into whatever the first corner is, it's not going to be obscenely fast. Like on, yeah. like on the liter bikes where you're seeing, you know, near 200 miles an hour on some circuits. So yeah, I think it'd be great fun. The the last thing I'll comment about on that was that we'd, we'd done this lap in one of these safety cars, which was like a Hyundai hatchback. And, you know, they, they don't look very quick, you and know, when are. you just look, but they are absolutely rapid. I was blown away by how late they break and how yeah. hard they break. Yeah. And I, I wanted to tell you this because I know that you've had quite a lot of experience driving cars on track. Yeah. And I think I've got a newfound appreciation for the like the sheer competence of these drivers. Yeah. And the bravery to get on the brakes that late because yeah. the corner's coming up so quick and then it's like all the brakes come on. Yeah. And you just feel like the car should go over, but it just holds. It grips and, and goes. Yeah, so I was I was truly blown away by that. It's um yeah, it's a completely so I did car track days before I really got heavily into my biking or road biking as it were. And um yeah, even so I'd driven my my car that I had at the time fast on the road a bit here and there where I could, you know. And then I did the first track day, went out, did the warm up, came in, let the tires down to their hot temperature went back out again and i had my friend in the passenger seat and he was like egging me on he's like go on go on go go and he was saying like break break like late as you can into the corner and i had this first session it felt good but there was a few components in my car i needed to change so when i came back for the second track day i had limited slip diff so i was getting drive through both the front wheels um better tires better brakes and came into this track day and i took a few people out that hadn't been on track before because you can have passengers so i took i took my old man out for a, for a run around the circuit and this was at brands hatch on the indie circuit so it's like an open pit lane day so you just come in and out of the pits as you want during the session so he came out with me so i went and did a warm-up picked him up and we went out and you come out the pit lane you go down paddock hill bend and then you come up to there's like a double hairpin at the top and we're flying up the hill probably at about 80 miles an hour and then i can see him gripping the handle in the door <laughs> trying not and pushing his feet into the carpet and i'm waiting waiting and then i'd slam the brakes on seems shoot forward in the seat into the corner the tiles are squealing wow and uh yeah the, the cars just grip like go-karts they really really do when they're set up properly when you've got the suspension right you've got the tires right it's unbelievable how grippy they are and how well they stop but the question i wanted to ask you is that so you obviously know that feeling of like it's on the gas and then you brake late is it the same when you're on a bike on a track day no okay it's not completely different because it's it kind of not scared me but i was like holy shit is this what a track day is like on a bike is this how late no, you break? i'd shit myself it's like night and day okay so, so it's much more smooth on a bike you have to be more smooth so on a bike when you're approaching the corner you're you're downshifting before the corner then you're braking as well and then you're slowly off the brakes rolling into the corner because if you they say like even the races they say smooth is fast so you want to be on a car, you can afford to be like, jam the brakes on, whip the wheel around and just shoot into a corner. But on the bike, you want to be everything as smooth. You want all your transitions to be smooth so it doesn't upset your your balance and your riding position. So your braking's got to be smooth. And then even when you're getting on the gas coming out of the corner, you want to just slowly bring on the gas and just wind your way out the corner. Um, so it's completely different. Now, while I, was up in, uh, while I was up in the Midlands, I had a friend who was picking up a new bike, yeah. a Triumph Scrambler. And so I arranged to meet up with him. 
because he was saying to me like all people do when they buy a new bike they're like right it's up here and i'm just gonna ride it back down and i was like whoa that's a long yeah. like taking the train all the way up north and then riding all the way back down in one day is what i did when i picked up mine i know but this is someone that's just passed their test okay and hasn't got like masses of experience yeah on big bikes apart from doing mod one and mod two so i said okay if you're going to do it you've got to stop halfway at yeah. least and and take a breather because you can't underestimate when you're getting used to a new bike especially when it's your first big bike yeah. quite how taxing that is even just on like the brain functioning yeah and so we spent a night in rutland and kind of cruised around and stuff and the roads up there are like truly amazing yeah and as we worked our way down south it made me realize quite how different a riding experience it is being up north or even in the midlands compared to yeah around london like just how busy it is yeah like we were we were on these amazing roads up in rutland and cruising around so you know you see a couple of cars and then down more kind of like near buckingham it was just like every good stretch of road it's like there's a caravan and a car yeah you know, and, you, and then a and then a van pulls out in front of you hard oh, that was my gap you know do you see what i mean it's it's so much emptier up there and especially when i had this the other day when i took my bike for the mot and i just went out into the countryside had a blast around and i only saw let me think half an hour of riding i saw two cars yeah just on the little country roads and it's just fields and quiet and the birds singing and the engine singing and it's great to just get out and have that space i think but while we were so once he'd picked his bike up and, and we met one of the things actually before he had said is like, he's like, oh, I've got to get a new disc lock for the bike. And I was like, hold fire, wait until you've bought the bike to make sure it fits the disc. Because yeah. I've made that mistake in the past. You know, you, you go and buy a disc lock what and then it's like, it? oh, it doesn't fit. And so he'd, anyway, he'd gone and bought the disc lock and he sent me, he's like, oh, it didn't fit. It doesn't fit. You know, the <laughs> bolt's too big to go through the holes. So I was like, oh, okay, fair enough. So it was getting to the point where he was like, we're going to have to switch disc locks. And I was like, no, I love my <laughs> disc lock. Don't give me, you know. And he had one of those ones where, to, to alarm it it's like you have to be super gentle you have to kind of pull the key out and then yeah it's it like beeps a bomb, and it's like a bomb. It. exactly and so i didn't really want his disc lock and so we ended up doing what you do sometimes round which the is sprocket round the sprocket and it's such a good solution yeah and it got me thinking it's almost better than it being on the disc because it's you've got the swing arm in the way yeah for grinding through it and then also the chain it's like you'd have to to get the disc lock off You'd have to cut the chain, but then you can't push it away, really, if you've cut the chain. Do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah, you can't ride it away. And then, yeah, you don't really want to compromise the swing arm. Yeah. So it's... I just put mine there because I did exactly that. I ordered a disc lock that I had for my Suzuki. Good disc lock. I thought, yeah, perfect. Got the Triumph. No space to put it on the disc. So I was like, well, the sprocket's got holes, so I'll just chuck it on there. And that's where I always put it, just through the sprocket. Works a treat. Yeah, it's a good system. The only other thing I mentioned about it, this bike he's bought is that it had had a custom exhaust fitted and I'm, okay. I have no idea who did the exhaust because the headers don't look custom. They look kind of stocky. Yeah. But they don't, it's not the same shape as this, like the normal stock headers and it's still got the secondary air injection and so this thing, the backfiring. <laughs> and sometimes, I think backfiring is kind of joke sometimes. Yeah. But there's, you know what these Triumphs are like when they've got that SAI yeah. still in place. It's like on every time you come off, like, bam, bam, bam. And I'm there in front of him and I can hear it you know through my earplugs again i turn around every time he's just like shaking comes a bit head. much it comes a bit much so we, when we got back into london you know we went our separate ways whatever and i think on his way home he had had some police behind him and when you've got a bike like that you can't 
you got to be on the throttle to yeah. stop. But then if you're on the throttle, you're getting faster. You know, so if you've got police behind you, it's like either you risk speeding or you risk the the backfiring, exactly. and, they're, and they're just going to be like, "Oh, this is ridiculous." Yeah. So um, he's been asking me, "What do I do in terms of you know a baffle?" Because it's not one of these exhausts that you can just shove in one of those removable like universal. What I've got. Yeah, it's not really. It's it's it, it's quite it's quite wide. So I was thinking some baffle material and just kind of shove it in because it's got it's almost got like a muffler that's removable halfway. Okay. With with you know with those thick clips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What would you recommend? So, can you just stuff baffle material it, in? It will, it will blow out. Yeah. It will literally blow out. Mm. So I've had it on cars and stuff in the past where the the silencer has blown the baffling out just from backfiring and from you know heavy driving. So it would have to be if you could find a baffle big enough, like a universal baffle that you screw in that's that's big enough. That would be the only solution. Yeah. Or change the pipes. Yeah. I mean, do you hoops to have your stock silencers kicking around? I've offered them to him and he said no. <laughs> I sent him the Facebook Marketplace link and and yeah, he wasn't impressed. Yeah, that would be my my solution. Would be try find a baffle that's big enough and then just drill a hole, grub screw it in. Yeah, as a temporary solution. Yeah, I think you're probably right. The only other thing I saw when I was out on the road was this MP3 with a tow bar, and it just got me laughing. I don't know if you saw. We that. saw a couple at the TT with trailers. Yeah, gold we, wings oh, we and did stuff. actually. Yeah, we did, and but it was. You almost kind of, when you see the trailer, you're just like, oh my word. But seeing one with just, I was looking just at the, the MP- tow bar. I was because I was looking at the MB3 being like, oh, look, we've just discussed that on the pod. Yeah. And I looked down and saw the tow bar and I just thought, that is, that's truly awful. That's, yeah. yeah. You've just got to wonder what goes through someone someone's head when they think, let me put a trailer on my bike, especially an MP3. I know. That's like double sin. Yeah. Okay. Better guess the engine. Yeah, let's do it. Sweet. So I've got a good one for you. Awesome. It is. Uh, it doesn't have a startup. It's, it's so it's running, but you get a couple of revs. Cool. Okay. Here we go. Wow. What do you think? Well, that's really different to what you normally give. It is a bit. So, first thoughts, single cylinder. It is. And it sounds, because when, when it was initially idling, it sounded almost like kind of like a Royal Enfield, so it was kind of slow, but then when it revved, it almost sounds like a motocross bike. Somewhere in that sort of region. Somewhere in that region. So, well, let's go with Japanese. Yeah, that'd be a good guess. So, yeah, Japanese four-stroke single yeah in a in a dirt bike platform dirt bike platform cool and of the kind of 2000s early 2000s that kind of that kind of era yeah somewhere around there ballpark so is it a is it a honda it is a honda it's a crf it's not a crf it's not a crf okay so if it's not uh and we've done xrs before and it's thing is the crf and the xr they're they're the only most cross bikes i know and it's yeah. not and it's not either of them well it's not a crf oh it's an xr it's an xr oh it's an xr oh okay is it an xr 600 <laughs> an xr 600 <laughs> yeah um right okay here is yours
that startup has just got me reminiscent of the TT. Is it, is it a triple? It is a triple, yeah. It's triumph triple. It's not a triumph triple. Not a triumph triple. No. Okay. That's throwing me off. Because that startup almost sounded like the yeah, RR. It, sound, it sounds really... I actually had that same thought when I found the video. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Okay, so it's a triple. Let's think what triples are on the market. Because there's not an awful lot. No, there aren't many. So I'm going to say it's not Japanese. Correct. Okay. So is it European? Yes. It's European. Is it? It's quite quiet. So is it stock exhaust? It's a stock exhaust, yeah. Okay. Is it Italian? Yes. Is it an MV? Yes. Is it the same MV that we saw the other week? No. Is it an F3? No. No. See, I'm not too clued up in my, in my MV models. No, you models. are. You are. You are. There's, there's, there's one more. Ah. There's not an F3. What's the one? Is it like a Brutale or something? Or No, 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 no. Is it like the Super Veloce? Yes. I was thinking... Yeah. Trying to think of the names of different MV models. Yeah, nailed it. And that's the only one that I really know that in the F3. And is there an F4 as well? I think so. Yeah, I don't know if they still make the F4. Yeah, I, mean, I don't it's know. It's definitely a, a past model. But yeah, it's weird because the Super Veloce almost had a high, lurks in the shadows yeah. as, as a model. But I thought I'd pick that because people were saying that it would it was almost comparable to the 1200 tri- yeah. you know, Triumph. Looks-wise also. Yeah, for sure. Quite similar with that single headlight in the front and the fairings and stuff. Yeah. No, cool bike. Yeah. Cool bike. Right. Question time. Let's let's see let's see what we've got this week. So I've got a few actually. I've got one from Fur and Breakfast. And it is top three knobbly tires. What a name. <laughs> yeah. But every day. Well, TKC eighties are on yeah. the list. And on from that, it's tricky because to be honest, I'm amazed there isn't a tire another tire manufacturer that's created like a direct competitor for the tkc80 no. like they all go weird with the pattern exactly yeah so the only similar one i would say is metas i think they've done a tire i can't remember the model off the top of my head but they've done a tire which is quite similar to the tkc is it the is it metas e09 could be yeah i've that just that's the only metas tire i know <laughs> it could be a car tire no I, let's uh let me just quickly look it up um there's also i mean the Pirelli Scorpion. Yeah, the Pirelli Scorpion. I I would say they're probably the best road-going knobbly tyre. Not that I've tried them, but just by looking at the shape of them, they're quite curved and the the treads aren't too aggressive. Yeah. Okay, Mitas E09. They, they look great. Yes, they do look good. Uh, but aside from that, I've I've gone off the likes of the hide nows and yeah. that, that the sort of arrow patterning. Yeah. I think they're... For our style of bikes, I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm sold on them at the moment. But for everyday riding, oh, but for everyday riding, they're they're great. Yeah, yeah. And I think depending on what bike you've got there, they're definitely a good option. So those the TKCs, and maybe the Pirellis. Yeah, the Pirelli Scorpions. Quick question here, which is: Is the seat from Triumph or a different brand? This is referring to the Motone crate seat that I've got on my bike. The fantastic seat. Yeah, you can, you can get one using the code TMD12 for a discount. So I've got another one from Dublin Brat, and it is, do you guys have luggage racks on the bikes or do you use strap options instead, form slash function? Yeah, that's a great question. So I don't have a luggage rack. I have like a shortened seat on mine. I have like a rear loop. You've got your full length seat, but no luggage holding, you know. No, I mean, what I would say on this is like, I think... With our style of bikes, luggage racks are always quite small. Yeah. And I'm not sure 
they're that much more functional than just the back of the bench seat. They're not, I mean, our friend Will's got on his scrambler. He's yeah. got a small luggage rack but, on the back, yeah. but it's tiny. It's almost the size of your hand. But also, if you're strapping a big bike, um, not a big bike, a big bag down to the back of the seat, you're probably not going to use the rails provided on that small rack. You, no. you normally tie it down to like the pillion. The, the pillion, triangles, yeah. The triangles, exactly. Yeah, if you had a little tool roll or something, you could maybe strap yeah, it to it. But, that's I, it. but on, I don't think they're that useful, to be honest. No, I think as long as you've got enough space behind you to sit that's solid and firm enough to chuck a bag on there, then just use the frame for hitching up with straps. You use the rock straps, which are, seem to be quite a good option. Yeah, they are. Um, I've always had a mix of bungees and cargo nets and stuff, which has worked for me. So, yeah, whatever works for you. But luggage racks, you know, it's not the end of the world if you don't have one. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Now, this is quite a good one for you because you ride with a pillion quite a lot. It says, how does the pillion rider... It's not very good in English, but how does the pillion rider will ride you if the silencer is way up than usual? <laughs> okay, so... <laughs> okay, yeah. I think you've understood I've what understood, he's trying yeah, to I've got, I've got the grasp. So for my bike, personally, because it came with a low exhaust, the pillion pegs were situated much close to the bike, whereas on the Scrambler, Triumph accounted for the high pipes and they step out the right pillion peg to allow for it so with my bike i had to have a spacer made up for the pillion peg just to clear the exhaust but whenever i've had a pillion there's never been any issues with the exhaust clearance or heat or anything um so it's never really been an issue for me i don't know if it's been never been for you either no not really i think also the hottest part of the exhaust is the bit at the front it's the headers yeah it only gets cooler as it goes back yeah exactly and i've never found um, often I've been in, I've been riding in quite hot weather and had a pillion. Yeah. And I've asked them, "Are you as is your leg being as cooked as mine is?" And they're like, "No, no, no, it's all it's fine. fine." Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's never, never, never seems to be an issue. Here's another one. It's from Myers nine nine five, and it says, "Are you boys going to do a trip up north?" I think it'd be one for definitely one for the diary at some point. You know, with this, with with the way seasons are in the UK, you only get kind of a short window to do these things. Yeah. And, you know, I know some people who go touring in Spain in the winter and you get blue skies and it's a bit cold, but yeah, still I mean, great. I did Mallorca in February and it was, it was cold when you got high up into sort of the mountainous areas, but low down when the sun was out, it was 17 degrees. I think the biggest thing that holds riders like us back from doing trips like that is just the, the sheer distance you have to travel to get to the start point. Yeah. And I was... I can't remember who I was talking to. I was talking to someone who was saying that in their country, it's extremely easy to put bikes on trains. I know. It was. We, I, we, I, we might have had this discussion. Yeah, we were. We were talking with someone who was saying that. Yeah. And, you know, if there was some way of taking your bikes to King's Cross and Pancras mm. and wheeling them into the station and onto the back of a carriage yeah. and strapping them down like a ferry and you could get a train from London to Edinburgh... Oh, imagine. You could do a weekend trip very, very easily. Yeah. Or even like a, you know, a, a four-day trip. Well, you can get there in, what's it, five hours on the train? Yeah. Give or take? Yeah, you know, half a day or whatever. Yeah. And I think that's the thing, like, you know, when whenever, you know, if I say to you, like, oh, should we go to Scotland? The first question is like, well, I mean, how are we getting there? Exactly, yeah. And it almost becomes, you know, it's like two days to ride there, two days to ride back. And that's it's the really good, four- good portion of your trip taken up. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I'm not sure there's... I'm not sure there's really a kind of a good solution on that unless, but then because you could rent a van and then take them up in a van, but then you've got the, you sort of leave some van in a lay-by. Yeah. So, you, I mean, I wonder how much it would cost because I'd 
I'd looked at bikes in various places and cars and stuff, and there's websites where you can get quotes for shipping. And basically, guys who just ship stuff email you loads of their prices and you get to choose one. So whether it be a case of getting a quote, two bikes from here to here, pay X amount, get them shipped up, and then you get the train up or get a flight up afterwards, and then you just collect your bikes from an address wherever you are. Yeah, well, I mean, if you could do... Yeah, if it was like London to... It's anywhere in Scotland, Edinburgh, Inverness, and you could fly in and the bikes were dropped off at the airport yeah. with your bag on the back. We, we're going to have to look into this. Yeah. Because if, it's, if, if people have done that, let us know. Yeah. Because that could change the game. Because every time I think about Scotland, I just think about that that M6. Oh. It's not, it's not no, something it's you not. want to do. Now, what earplugs do you use, if any? That's come from I, Bennett. Good question, actually. So I, I don't normally ride with earplugs around town i like to hear what's going on around me people beeping other vehicles trying to pass you etc but when it comes to motorway journeys i normally i have the airport pros that have the noise cancelling so i'll chuck those in with some tunes on and the noise cancelling and it pretty much eliminates all exhaust noise and all wind noise um which quite good you've got some you've got a different solution yeah, I've got some of the custom in-ear headphones. The molded the one, ones. Yeah, the ones that they, they squirt all sorts of stuff into your ears. My only complaint with them is that you'd think they're extremely comfortable because they, they fit your ear perfectly. Yeah. But they give you this weird, like, tickling sensation, like, right deep into the oh, canal. Really? As Because as you're riding along, you know, the bike's vibrating at a certain frequency. Yeah. And it feels like it's doing that in your ear a bit as well. And so I sometimes go on my you know i get that yeah. feeling of like needing to like yeah. stick my finger in my ear and obviously you can't do that in the helmet and then there are some moments where it's so itchy that i can't concentrate on the riding so i'm like moving my he helmet back Trying and forth to, yeah and then and then i end up dislodging one of the headphones then you lose all the bass in one ear yeah so I, it's a love-hate relationship with those things but they're quite good so i've got a question from kevin angeles 93 it says advice for my cbt oh cool advice for the cbt the cbt is quite an easy one really i yeah. wouldn't overthink it too much there was i had a story from a friend of mine when he did his first cbt when he was 16 they're in like you go out to sort of a car park or something or like a big yard and they put the cones out and they get you to do a few maneuvers and in the one corner was a big pile of building sand and this guy just sent his moped up the building sand accidentally or well yeah it must just have been. For a I, think, I think he came out of the figure eight and just got on the gas and went straight into this pile of sand yeah, it always amazes me when people on like 50cc bikes manage to do that. No, I know. It's not like they, no. that, they accelerate that quickly. But he still passed. He still passed. Okay. So you don't have much to worry about in that respect. But yeah, just just stay relaxed, take it easy, follow the instructions. Yeah, I think also um, this is a piece of advice that no one ever gives. It's like turn up with the right gear because if you turn up with the wrong stuff, they can't. You can't no. do it. There was when I did my CBT for the second time, uh, not because I failed it for the first time, but we're doing it. Yeah, exactly. I there was a guy who turned up. And put it this way, he wasn't from the UK. Yeah. And by the story, you can probably guess where he's from. And he turned up with flip-flops on. And flip-flops <laughs> and jeans. And this was in the summer, to be fair, so it was quite warm. And the guy doing the CBT was like, sorry, mate, you can't... Have, have, you, got, like have you got any shoes? Yeah. And the guy was like, oh, no, no, where I'm from, we ride in flip-flops. Even on the big bikes and shifting gear. So on the moped, it's no problem. And the guy's like, well, no, I mean, just to say, you know, we... You need you need shoes. Yeah. It's like part of the checklist. And he's saying, no, no, it's fine. I'm going to be, my feet will be covered by the moped and this, that and the other. So I had a funny story. Yeah. My uh, When I did my full license, my instructor said to me, that, like on a few occasions, they had people turn up who couldn't even ride a bicycle. 
Really? They couldn't balance on a bicycle. They couldn't ride a bicycle. So they said to them, how do you expect to ride a motorbike or a scooter if you can't balance a bicycle? So he sent them away. And the one guy came back to the test center and said, can I practice going around the cones and learning to ride my bicycle (laughs) in your test center? No, he wanted to practice CBT on a bicycle. Yeah. (laughs) He wanted to be fair. That's quite smart in a way. Yeah. Doing figure rates, you know, learning his balance. I'd like to think you you get better at riding a bicycle just going out and riding it as opposed to doing yeah. the CBD course. Not exactly. That's so funny. A uh, quick one from Reese Burnett. Pros and cons of high pipes. Well, the first pro off the bat, they look sick. Yeah. They do look sick, depending on what style. I think it all depends on what style of bike. Definitely. Because if you're going for a tracker or something, or yeah, something of the like, you're going to want a low pipe. But scrambler bikes, scrambler-esque bikes, desert sled bikes, you know, high pipes all the way. Um, Cons, I suppose they do get quite hot in summer if you're going through town. It does sort of build up on your leg, but as soon as you get moving again, it cools right down again. So, Yeah, yeah. and also um, can be inconvenient for luggage because you can't have a pannier on the right-hand side. Yes, that's true. That's one major con I found, like practicality-wise there. And then maybe for covering the bike? Yeah. If you've been out for a ride and you want to chuck the, the cover on straight away, they're going to be that whole side of your bike's essentially going to be melting points for the cover. But apart from that, I can't really think of much else. Pros and cons. I guess the only other thing is like if you're doing work on your bike, they they kind of they block quite a bit of yes, that's true. maintenance areas that ordinarily would be there. You could just stick your hand straight in. That is true. So, just a quick story while we're doing this Q and A because I had this written down. So I met a guy. Uh, where he came up to me we were, I, somewhere in London yeah, and he said um, hey man I've got a Triumph Thruxton this that and the other a white one and he was like I've messaged you guys on the podcast and this that and the other and I ended up taking his number because we had to discuss something and the number didn't go through so if you're listening oh, yeah. <laughs> can you send me a message I haven't just I haven't just aired you or ignored you but one thing that he was saying which is quite funny is that, so he's got a Thruxton 1200 liquid cooled yeah and he said to me, he was like, I really want to do some green laning. And I've been thinking about just chucking knobblies on the Thruxton. No. Yeah, so that was my reaction. So I said, no, you can't do that. And he said, no, 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 it's fine. Because he said, in theory, it's the same platform as the T120. And he's like, I've seen people on the T120 do it. They put knobblies on. I said, yeah, but the Thruxton's set up entirely differently. And it's, it's, it's really... the rear sets and the clip-ons. And... Yes, yeah, so this is what I said to him. So I said, if you're going to... Because he was thinking about buying another set of wheels and then just switching them out when he wanted to green lane and then when he wanted to go for it on the road but i said to him i said you're gonna to have to change the pegs the bars the suspension setup's gonna to have to change the yeah. seat i do you can't have that rear cal if you're off-roading <laughs> and and so many other things uh you know including the front mud guard and so i said to him i said please don't do that no i don't i've never seen anyone online who's tried to to do that with no, the thruxton i haven't he would spend more getting all the bits and to do that yeah. than just buying a cheap TRZ 400 or yeah, something. Totally agree. As an enduro bike. Okay, this is um from one of our female listeners. She, she says, on a serious note, I'm now getting my full license. What type of bike should I get? I'm 50 kilograms. Okay. What type of bike is a first bike? So, you obviously you want something that's got... You're, you're doing your full bike test, so you want to make the most of it. But at the same time, you don't want to go on something that's going to scare you and put you off. You want, like, you want like an encouraging bike. Um, it really depends on what base you want to follow, what platform you want to go, whether you want to go sports bike, tourer, enduro, supermoto, you know. I would, yeah. I mean, 
a lot of these bikes are quite similar because they all produce yeah quite similar power i mean i i personally think the the royal enfield hunter has got to be quite a good yeah good bike for uh a lady who who wants something friendly and, and is a good bike to start with yeah because they're quite low as well aren't they yeah. low seat height quite manageable but even the new triumph 400 yeah that'd be good that'd be good um what else is out there on the market well there are a lot of small capacity bikes that i would say are not very stylish i think it depends on you know you've got yeah. the ktm dukes and the yeah that's true the mt03 and uh the ninja 400 you know you've got those types of bikes the r3 could the, be R, the r3 yeah exactly yeah i think you're right it depends on on what style you want but there's loads out there but i think definitely within the the three to 600 range yeah definitely ideal first bike territory and then just find something if you're on the smaller side find something that you can manage i'll tell you one bike that, that's quite good and i'm not a massive fan of it but i appreciate it for what it is it's the rebel 500 because it's extremely yeah. low i know a couple of a couple of girls who've, who've bought those because it's like it's actually very friendly yeah you know moving moving maneuvering it around no they are i think that's the main thing as long as you can manage the bike then you'll learn and you'll be confident and be well on your way to getting a bigger bike so i have got one more question and it is malay mile essentials for the weekend yeah lovely question lovely question to finish on essentials so for me one of my essentials for this year would be a spare shifter lever yes or maybe more than one <laughs> maybe more than one uh essentials for the mile with well, your camping obviously with your camping essentials sleeping bags tents mattresses etc as far as riding goes maybe a few tools a little tool roll a little socket set or something if you can fit it in a bag um, yeah and a few little spare things like fuses i remember my first mile mile the main fuse went on my bike yeah and that can be curtains for your weekend if you haven't got a spare yeah cable ties yeah cable ties some tape just for quick fixing if you should need it yeah, maybe even you know some chain lube because those, those chains yeah. get so dry. They do. And then if you've got capacity or space, if you're driving up and bringing the bike in a van or a trailer, um, load up with snacks and water. Definitely water. I'm going to be bringing a couple of those big five-liter drums with me, I think. Yeah, perfect. Perfect. Yeah, it's going to be a really fun weekend. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's coming around soon, but it's going to be good. And... I still can't wait to see what Dana's is, or Stib Dana's Stib Knight is going to do uh, on that lake. I know because he's he's gone awfully quiet. We haven't heard much because he he posted that picture of the uh, the tire. The tire. I saw that. That's a proper Santa. Those scoops are oh yeah serious. So that's going to be yeah. I'm excited for that. Yeah. Well, that's been a great season. It has been a good season. Thank you for tuning in. Yeah. Thanks to Motone again for all your support. Yeah. Thanks, Motone. And uh, yeah, we'll see you soon. See you on the next one. Wait a bit. Bye.